Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, let me just calm my heart and know who I'm talking to right now. God, I pray that your presence descends and stays here. Lord, I pray that these words that will come will not be Marcus's words, but it will be words that come from you. God, I'm so grateful that you've called me to be in this position, which is not easy. But with your help, we can do anything. I pray for the next 35 minutes that your word will be spoken as clearly as I can speak it. I pray that I'm just the mouthpiece, Lord. I pray that you bless the study that has been done. And I've also prayed for, Lord, your Holy Spirit to go before me and after me. Lord, I pray that you give me the courage to speak truth, the courage to teach, and the courage to be clear and understandable. God, I pray for the hearts that are going to hear this, that... They will be touched and moved in a different direction. We are here because you are God and King. You are a Savior, and your gospel is true, and it can set people free. So we thank you for those who you are setting free even now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I ask you to to pray for your pastors so we do not get a big head. Uh, that we stay humble and speak the truth of God. Every once in a while when I get on, when I get on Facebook, I, I scroll and scroll and scroll and I get to some of these uh, little memes or pictures or whatever they're called. And one of those that I like always says, I was today years old when I found out this. Right? I don't know if you've seen those. Like, I was this old when I found out something I should already know. Right? One of them said, I was... Today, years old, when I realized that the little arrow on my gas tank was actually telling me where my gas tank is on my car. I don't know if you know that, but if you look on your dashboard, it's a little arrow that tells you what side of the, tank, what side of the car your tank is on. I didn't know that until a few months ago. I was today, years old, when I, when I realized that the game of tag, T-A-G, actually means touch and go, explains the game. I did not know that. This series, I want you to feel this. This series will feel like that. Like, I've been reading the Bible all my life. But we titled this series Refocus so that you can see the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament. For some of you, perhaps, the first time. Been a Christian since I was 19 years old. And I read the Bible and I understood the stories, at least I thought I did, individually, right? I could tell you the stories. I could tell you the facts. Most of you here can tell us most of the stories. You know the figures. You know the people. Some of you have a lot of it memorized, and which is awesome. And it changed my life. For years, I got it. I was moving towards God. But sometimes I would have questions, and I trust that some of you would have questions, right? Why is this particular story in the Bible? Why is this story included? 
This is not a new way to read the Bible, and this is not a mysterious way to see things in a different way, some Jedi mind trick that we're doing. It's so you can see it as it has been written, as the storyline goes through from Genesis all the way up to Revelation. This changed my life when I heard someone preach a sermon from the Old Testament and talked about Jesus Christ. I thought to myself, how could that be? Because I've been reading the Bible for a long time, and I know Jesus was born, right, in the second half of the story, in Matthew, right, in Mark, and Luke, and John. That's the story of Jesus. I didn't understand that Jesus was on the scene before he was, quote, on the scene. In the next few weeks, we want to make it as clear as possible so you can see that the entire Bible, every story, actually points to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. Newsflash to some of us who live in a Western world, the Bible is not about you. This, I'm hoping that in this series, you will, it will help you engage with the Old Testament a little bit more, with more vigor, with more understanding, right? We, sometimes we look at the Bible from the creation, fall, re redemption, and restoration narrative, right? You got creation in Genesis 1. You got the fall in Genesis 3. You got, then we skip towards redemption when Jesus Christ comes in the New Testament and restoration in Revelation as we look forward. So what do we do with the other 45 books or so in the middle there? What do we do with the chunk of that, right? Is that all just part of the fall? Yes, but there's, it goes deeper, it goes deeper than that. From Genesis 3 to, to, to Matthew 1, there's stories there that, that, that point to Jesus Christ. And one of those stories is what Patty read this morning and we're going to get into. is from Chronicles chapter 17. The whole Old Testament, if it costs you to remember this, the whole Old Testament is like John the Baptist. If you know John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was doing his thing early between intertestamental periods and he was saying, there is someone coming whose sandals I can untie. There's someone coming. I am not the Christ. He's saying clearly, I am not the Messiah. That's what the Old Testament is telling us. These people are not the Messiah, but there's someone coming. Take out your Bibles, keep them open, your devices, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles 17. It's a long passage. Thank you, Patty, for reading that. Um, it's a narrative passage. It's a story, right? Talks about David. David. David is sitting there with Nathan. He said, man, I want to do something for God. Right? So why, I keep asking, why, does this, why is this story included? The Bible, the writers of the Bible did not have unlimited, they didn't have Google so they could just write things and save it and they, somebody else saves it for them somewhere in some cloud somewhere. Right? They had limited space on these scrolls. So everything that they wrote had a meaning, had, had, a, had a position had a, had a place. They're not just absent words. So why is this story added? Let me give you a little history. In the Hebrew Bible, at first let me start with our English Bible. In our English Bible, or the traditional Bible that we have in the Christian, not in just English, in the Christian tradition, the books of the Bible are grouped by themes or likeness. So you got your historical books, you got your prophecy books, right? You have your, your, the Pentateuch, the first books, you have your poetry books. So they're not in chronological order, but they're in order based on the likeness. The prophets are together, the prophecies are together, the narratives are together. 
So when you open your Bible, say, oh, I'm reading this story. When you read the book of Kings and you read the book of Chronicles, you say, well, I read this before. Why would they duplicate these kinds of things, right? They didn't have space. So if they're duplicating it, it's for something. In the Hebrew Bible, however, it's a little different. The book of Chronicles is actually the last book in the Old Testament. The person who's writing Chronicles is looking back at the rest of the history, the, the history of Israel, and he's telling the story, and he's chronicling based on the eyes of the kings. He's going through a king by king by king by king. It's also a unique display here of writing. Hebrew wasn't my favorite when I was in seminary, but I had to dig into it this week. Every king in the book of Chronicles and the books of Kings are intentionally developed with illusions, analogies, and they carry forward this theme of messianic expectation. Here's what I mean. Every king is set up to ask the question, is he the Messiah that's coming? Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, all of them, when they start off, Solomon, David, Saul, every king is started off in that kind of line. Like, is this person going to be the second Moses to lead us out of the, into the promised land? The messianic expectations are very clear when you look at all the, all the, all the leaders, all the kings. So when you open a book of Chronicles, man, I know I'm a preacher, but it's a snoozer, right? <laughs> it's a snoozer. If you, don't, if you don't follow it correctly, you think, oh, man, when you open a book of Chronicles, it's just name after name after name after hard name after hard name. It's a long list of what we call a genealogy. Long genealogies. It's almost like being stuck at a party with an IRS agent. No, no, I hope no IRS agents are here. You know when you get to a party and you're sitting next to somebody, and you're like, oh, man, I picked the wrong person to sit next to, right? <laughs> and I'm going to be here for hours. So you start reading the book, you're feeling that way. This person is going through and he's listing all these names. What am I going to do with this? I want you to stay with me. The genealogies are very important. If the author had a limited amount of space and he puts in all these names, it's for a reason. And here is the reason. They're trying, he's trying to tell you, you need to trace this line because this is the line that the people of Israel have been tracing to see when the, where the Messiah is going to come from. They're keeping track of, of Jacob to Judah to this person to this person to this person. And he's trying to tell you, hey, this is how we're keeping track of it over these hundreds of years. We're trying to find who the Messiah is so we know if someone comes from another line, they're not coming from this line, they can't possibly be the Messiah. The other thing that I see on TV preachers, nothing against them, is that they always love to give timelines on when the world's going to end, right? No one knows. And they use these genealogies to say, and they predict time and say, oh, this person lived, this person lived, this person lived. I can tell you this, but some of them, most of them, are wrong. Here's why they're wrong, right? In Hebrew writing. They, they don't have, Hebrews don't have the word for grandson or great-grandson. So they always say the son of, the son of, the son of. So if my grandfather, my grandfather's name is Nyakene, I will be the son of Nyakene. 
I wouldn't be the great. I don't have a really a good word to, to make sure to say great-grandsons or grandsons. If you read those genealogies, it just says the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the daughter of, right? They're not necessarily meaning the immediate son. So you can't track time based on that. Are you nerding out with me? Are you with me? Good. He's saying that here is the line, but it doesn't necessarily mean, sometimes they skip generations when they do that. So you cannot use that as a measure of time. So why is that important? The whole Old Testament, from beginning when God says, from the beginning when God says, let us make man, you realize that God is not alone. There are 40 authors from Genesis all the way to Revelation, over a thousand years, and they're all telling us the same story in different contexts. When I was a teacher, I used to teach, I was a seventh grade teacher, and I used to teach author's purpose, right? The author's purpose. So when you start to read a book, and this person has all these genealogies, what is the purpose? What, 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 is, what, am, what am I asking? What, what are they trying to tell me? He's trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell you that there is a story here that we're trying to keep track of, right? That's what people tell me. Is all, wasn't a Bible written by man? Wasn't it written by a bunch of men or people different, from different places? They are, the Bible is so inspired, it's not even funny. The stories, the, the different authors lived in different times, but they tell the same story in different contexts, in different ways. We have to understand the context. In the context of this story, in 1 Chronicles 17, David wants to give back to the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. We all want to. He has seen what the Lord had done for him over the years, right? People were chasing him to kill him, and God saved him. He's thinking, my legacy, what can I, what can I do for God that he's done so much for me? He has done so much for me. What can I do for him? It's a good-hearted, it's a very good-hearted thing to do, very good-hearted thing to think. He wants to find the best cedar, which is a nice tree. He, he probably would build the best temple with gold. But the story is much, much bigger because David is trying to get a legacy. He's trying to tell God, hey, God, I want to do something for you. As the story goes on, we realize that God is not wanting David to build a temple for him. Isn't that a good thing? So the, 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 the story says the Ark of the Covenant had lived in tents, and David is offering to give it a permanent home. But God says, you're not the one to build this temple. In fact, your son is the one that's going to build the temple. We know David had a lot of sons, and one of whom was named Solomon. And he says, your son will build his temple. If you read it, you think, oh, yeah, Solomon, right? Solomon built a great temple. That's where the story ends. But if you see it through a Christocentric lens, a Christ-centered lens, you realize there is more to the story that's going on. All of us here want to do great things for God. No question. Some of us here are desperately trying to build a temple like David was the older we get for God. We want to repay for what God has done. I know sometimes I feel that way. Hey, listen, I've been on the other end of a gun 
several times. And, and I came from that. I've been sick. I, I, I mean, I lost everything. And God brought me from there. I always think, what can I give back to God? When I was a boy, as many boys probably, even girls here, um, think, your mother, right? My mother and my father, they did so much for me. My parents, your parents do so much for you. And David is looking at God as his father, right? Before to say, man, you've done so much for me and I want to give back. I always thought one day I would graduate from some fancy university and, well, I would become a soccer player and, and I would give my mom the best thing she ever wanted. You know, she wanted a house, she wanted this, she wouldn't have to work anymore. Anybody else been there? I want to give my, I want to give my folks something. This Mother's Day I was watching uh, a YouTube video of SportsCenter or whatever and the quarterback from one of the football teams, I'm not going to mention his name, but Russell Wilson gave his mom, <laughs> gave, surprised his mom with a big beautiful house. And his mom couldn't believe it. She's like, this is for me? This is the key? And he says, yes, I've made millions of dollars. This is yours. This is the vein that, that, that David is thinking of. He wants to give God back something. Because God has made an unconditional covenant with him. He knew the bad stuff he has done. And God had saved him, right? In 2 Samuel 7, God says, you know, your, your seed will go on. You'll do great things. God, and David's like, what can I do? David would have built a great house for God. But we all know there is nothing we can do to repay God. David would have built a gold temple, I'm sure. He would have built a great house. David wants to build something for God, but I want you to think about this. God, who he's trying to build something for, built the heavens and the earth. Everything that David's going to use to build this house, God made. He owns. It was here before David. It'll be here after David. God made this beautiful house, this earth, in this beautiful temple called the universe. And we live in this place. We can breathe. We can look at the beauty. God does not need the temple that we're going to build. I heard Antoinette, but I didn't hear anybody else. <laughs> if you look at God that way, you will be working all your life to please a distant God, a God that you may not have the relationship you want to have with him. God created you. He reformed you. He made you into who you are. He does not need your payment back plan. He's not this cosmic bill collector trying to get his due. He wants a relationship with you. Somebody, somebody in here will give him some praise. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate you. So how can we read, how can we read the word of God with a Christocentric lens? How do you live up to this? Because if you try, then the death of Jesus is in vain. God did not come down on the earth through Jesus Christ so that we can follow good examples. He does not want us to be legalistic, judgmental, rigid Christians. In fact, he doesn't want you to put yourself in the position of a builder. 
He wants to put you in the position of a receiver. Jesus is the one who the story is about. It's not coincidence that he came to earth and became a carpenter. He's a builder. And he's building a true temple. We can live with him and he can live with us. Jesus is the true temple. Verses 11 and 12, let me read this for you really slowly so you can see this. Nathan is telling David through God that when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons. Remember sons. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, not a temple, a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. So if, if Solomon built the temple, and it says here the temple will be forever. Do you know Solomon's temple exists today? It doesn't. So who is he talking about? Right? That son, grammatically, right, is not... The immediate son is not even the grandson. It's a son that's way down the line that is going to build this temple that it says it's going to last forever. So it can't be a temple made by man's hands. And so get me going right here. Get me going, right? <laughs> he is the temple. In John 2, let me, just, let me just give you another glimpse. In John chapter 2, when Jesus whipped everybody and kicked them out of the temple and he, and he cleansed the temple, he says to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And they're thinking, this temple was made in 40 years. You can't raise it. They're thinking tem tem temples that's made by man's hands. They're not thinking he's the temple. They're not thinking, what is he talking about? He's referring to this passage in Chronicles saying, this temple that, that is being built is going to last forever. These are Jesus' words. You putting the pieces together? Folks, he is the temple, and he came down. Amen. Within this temple, guys, we have a house. Not just a house, we have a home. We have a family. In Christ, you don't have to worry about building your own. We live in him, and he lives in us. So that foreverness is with us when we become a part of the family. We become part of that lineage. So in that genealogy, you're going to fall in. We become children. We are adopted into that great, great genealogy that you read through and you start to fall asleep. You're a part of that. In this family, in this family, you can't lose your inheritance. Inheritance is important. You cannot lose your inheritance in this family. Can I riff a little bit? Let me just riff on inheritance in a few minutes. Just give me a few seconds here. In Genesis chapter 3, right, talking about inheritance. In Genesis chapter 3, when the fall happens, when, 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 when and Adam and Eve eat the apple and they get kicked out of the garden, right? In Hebrew writing, oh, this is so juicy, I can't even tell you. I, I can't even get it out. I can't even get it out, right? <laughs> when, uh, yeah, let me take my time. When, when, God comes. They had made fig leaves to cover themselves, right? Because they realized they were naked. And you say, why is this there? And then God says, I, God killed an animal and covered them with that, right? 
Do you see the Christ foreshadowing? Do you see somebody dying for someone's sins? You see that coming? Okay. But here is more, the inheritance. In Hebrew writing and Hebrew culture, your clothes were part of your inheritance. Man. I want you to think of Joseph. Jacob. What did he give Joseph? I can't hear you, man. You're playing. That's his inheritance. That's why his brothers are upset with him, because the inheritance is so beautiful. Okay? They didn't have pockets. They didn't have pants. So when, 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 your, when your father gave you something, he gave you an inheritance. When he gave them that, that's why when, it, when the brothers kill him, they don't just leave that coat on them. They take the coat and take it back to their father because they want the inheritance. Man. If somebody is asleep, somebody asleep, wake them up. Wake them up. Wake them up. I'm going to keep going. In, in 1 Samuel, when Jonathan and David are friends, what does Jonathan give David? He gave him his clothes because that's his inheritance from his father Saul. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? Let me go back to Joseph, right? Let me go back to Joseph. When Joseph is accused by Potiphar's wife and he takes, she tries to take his inheritance from him, he, he she takes his clothes, right? He's going to get that back because he's in a family. Okay? In Luke, let me go here. In Luke, the prodigal son, when the prodigal son comes back, you know what the father gives him? Oh, man. He gives him a robe. In Hebrew culture, your inheritance is here. When Jesus says, when the Bible says about Jesus that he's clothed in majesty. Man. I'm trying to tell you something. When you read the Bible, you got to read it this way. You won't want to get up in the morning. You're part of a family. You are clothed. He can't take that from you. Somebody may, jack the, somebody may take that jacket away from you, but your inheritance is secure. You are in him, and he is in you. You hearing me this morning? When, 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 when Jesus, who is so clearly, clearly, clearly the, the, the Messiah that they're predicting, when he comes, people don't realize it. Because throughout the Old Testament, he's mentioned, right? He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is Jacob's fourth son way back in Genesis, right? He's called the Root of Jesse. Jesse is David's father, right? Genealogies. He's called a great high priest in the temple, Right? When you don't, if you don't pick this up, you're missing it, right? He's called the king of kings, right? All those kings that are mentioned in Chronicles and Kings, he is the king of those kings, right? <laughs> right? He's called the everlasting father in Isaiah 9. He's Mary's son. He was predicted to be born in Bethlehem. Are you sensing it? Are you feeling it? Right? When I say he's here, can you say amen? amen. He is here. Thank you. He, he's here. Oswald, he's here, right? He loves you. And your inheritance in him cannot ever be taken away. Amen. As I conclude, we're, present like we're, we're going to pretend like we're quitting right now. The, the prayer team can start getting ready and the Abby, you can start getting ready. In John 14, as I close, one of the most comforting passages in Scripture, in the gospel, when, when, Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, when he said he's going to leave, 
And he tells them, he says, I'm going to leave. And they're a little nervous, right? They're thinking, can I get an inheritance? Can I go with you? Can we go with you? He tells them, he says, in my father's house, there are many, some translations, it's really hard to get this translated, right? It's some translations say mansions, right? Some say rooms. Some say I go to prayer place. You know why this is hard? Because he is in him, he is in us, and we are in him. This temple that he's creating, we can't put into human words, right? It's not just a room. It's not just a mansion. It's something else, right? When he says, Translators and commentators are struggling to say, how can I put this into words? Here's the irony. David in this passage wants to build an extravagant temple. We want to do something. We want to build something for God. But God says, I will build you a house. God's house is better than your temple. Jesus keeps his promise when he tells his disciples, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm the one who created everything. Talking to Josh this week, and he kind of left me with a line. He said, who would you trust to build you a house? Would you trust yourself or the carpenter who knows every single thing? His measurements, I'm going to trust, right? His wood that he's going to make, I'm going to trust. Whatever you look, if you see the temple as a physical temple or you see it as an eternal temple, it's going to be better than anything you've ever built for yourself. So I want you to quit trying to build things for the Lord and walk with him. Right? Don't work for him. Work with him. When you have trust in him, you have a place. You have a place. The gospel... It's not doing things to offer them to God, right, for our salvation. It's, about you living the, it's not about you living this perfect life and hope for a great eternity, a good, re, a good retirement to get out of here and say, you know what, I'm going to go rest. But it is Jesus who was predicted from Genesis 1 all the way to the end. He came down in human flesh, the true temple, and died. So that we may live. The whole Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is not about you and I. It's about Jesus Christ. Christ is a true temple. Can you give him the glory this morning? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. We surrender to you all the thoughts that we have of building things to please you. You are the true king, the true redeemer, the high priest, the son of, the, the root of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You came so that we don't have to wrestle with building temples. You are the king. And we surrender to you. Lord, I pray that if there's one person in here who needs to know you more personally, that they will, they will shed the shackles and come forward this morning. Lord, I surrender. As the prayer team comes and they're up here, come, Lord. If you've heard something, you said, Lord, I need to change my life because I've been trying. I know God has done so many good things for me and I've been trying to pay him back. You don't need to. 
You don't need to. I want to set you free this morning. You don't need to. The gospel sets us free. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. Amen.